All right, so welcome back to the Expert Edge. Today, I'm interviewing one of my really, really good friends, Stacey Tushel. And I think that if you are feeling like you are ready to start hiring someone and scaling up your business, that's the big topic today. Today, we're going to be talking all about scaling in a simplified way. How do you scale up your business, especially an expert business? So we're going to be talking specifically about who do you hire as the first person? How do you on you know how do you uh, get the most out of the people that are working in your business? Whether you should outsource overseas or whether you should hire locally, um, some of the big mistakes that people make in the hiring process, and so much more. I tell you what, Stacy Tushel, she is the person that I go to when I'm looking for advice around hiring, building systems. Um, project management, and really like optimizing my business. And I'm excited to have her on the podcast. She's an absolute expert in this area. I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to this topic. And I think that if you are serious at all about growing your business and you want to grow grow beyond $100,000 or more, you're going to need a team, uh, whether that's an outsourced team or a local team or whatever. And so this is going to be crucial. And so what's really cool about this podcast is we address what it looks like below $100,000 to have a team and then what it looks like above $100,000 and beyond to run a team. So uh, listen up, buckle up. It's going to be a really great conversation on the Expert Edge with Stacey Tushel, all about scaling simplified. You are listening to the Expert Edge podcast. This is the place where experts come to command the stage, position themselves as authorities and scale their business up. Get ready to access your next level of potential with your host, Colin Boy. Stacy Tushel, welcome to the Expert Edge. Hi, Colin. I love when people say my last name correctly. Just like makes me so happy. <laughs> Tushel, was that correct? You said it's so good. I'm like, even in the accent, it sounded good. Oh, well, I'm I'm very good at many things and that was one of them on my list. So I'm glad that that's, that's confirmed right. now. I forgot. I forgot. You are good at many things. <laughs> so good. Now, uh, Stacey, we have been friends for many years. You're honestly one of the one of my favorite people to chat with, to hang out with. We just spent like a whole bunch of time in Mexico together. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to talk about this topic, which is which is, I know you've been working on this topic for many years yeah. and you're very masterful at it, but it's it's kind of like a new uh, niche or niche yeah. uh, for you to be focusing on in the market. So why don't you unpack for the listeners the big idea of what we're talking about today? Yeah. So we're talking about scaling in a simplified way. You can't scale something that's broken, but people think, no, no, I'm, I'm scaling my business. I'm like, no, no, you're you're in the building phase right now. You're not in the scaling phase. We've got to build it first. We've got to build it correctly. And then once it's built correctly, now we can start to add fuel to the fire and scale. But before you can scale, there's some work that's got to be done. So I'm really excited to, to dive in to be able to, the reason I shifted was because I was teaching people how to make money, but yet if they weren't fixing some of these other issues, they weren't happy with the outcomes just generally in their life and their balance and their lack of balance. And I don't want to just help you make money. I want to help you build a life where you can enjoy that money too. So this has just felt so natural to bring this in to my business as well. Love it. So the big idea is essentially scaling the right way, scaling your expert business and 
you know, that's going to look different for everyone depending on their yeah. goals and what they want to achieve. And, and for most expert business owners who, are, who you know, every, almost everyone who listens to this podcast are going to be a coach, a, a speaker, a trainer, a course creator. Most of them don't, you know, have more than, you know, anywhere between three to 10 people on their team. Like, you know, if you're getting above 10 people, it's becoming like a, quite a big business in this mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. And so talk to us about um, this idea you mentioned before we jumped on, the idea of, of most people build monsters instead yeah. of building a business that they love. Yeah. And so uh, talk to us about the philosophy of that so that we can understand it and, and actually start not, not build that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know, right? I mean- I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and I still didn't know half of this stuff because I wasn't paying attention. I was a kid. Like I was ignoring their dinner conversations and all of that stuff. And now all of a sudden you build this business and you've never had to have an angry customer and have that conversation with them, refunding people or having a team member that you hire and then not show up or do something inappropriately that they shouldn't be saying to their you know, clients or whatever that is. So what happens is you start to make these, this assumption in your head that things will get easier when, Mm. and you can fill in the blank. When I have more team members, when we make more money, when we have more clients, when I can get out of one-to-one and start doing one-to-many, it will be so much easier. Right. And that is a lie because you don't know if you're, if you're doing something right now, you've got certain habits that you've instilled, right? Well, if you don't know how to undo certain bad habits and start to head into the direction you want to head to scale, you're going to all of a sudden just be a multiplied version of what it is you've just created. So I have seen million dollar businesses that still have horrible boundaries. I have seen million dollar businesses paying themselves like minimum wage, or (laughs) they'll they'll tell me like, oh, my, my husband and wife, like we're both together in this business. And together we're making, and they'll tell me their salary. And I'm going, what? Like you're at a million dollars a year. What do you mean? You're only paying yourself this much money. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you just keep moving. You know how we move the milestone of what we want to create. You do that with this too. You think, well, we're only making 300,000. So maybe when we're a little bit bigger at 500, we can start doing this. But when you get to 500, you're thinking, oh, it's 750, right? Like you just keep moving that milestone. So slow down and start to do things the right way. And I say the right way, I just mean the right way for you. Mm. How do you want to enjoy this business? What do you want it to look like? Don't wait to enjoy your business because it it really is just going to be the same type of business, making more money, more team members. And honestly, it's going to all be more headaches if you don't know how to handle it when it's small. Mm. So what I'm hearing is that when you're looking to grow your business, if you don't have the right structures in place, you can scale up, you know, using that word, you can go from, you know, $50,000 to $500,000, then up to a million dollars. And you, the quality of your life can dramatically get worse Yeah. if you don't do it the right way. Yeah. Is that kind of what so, you're saying? Absolutely. And you just said like most people listening, they probably have somewhere between possibly zero to 10 employees, yes, right? Correct. So- now imagine it's it's you and five people right now, and they're all talking to you. You are leading them. And then you bring on a few more. Well, I had somebody that joined my program who had 30 people directly reporting to them, no managers. Can you even imagine what that feels like? 30 oh people gosh. who just need you for a quick con, just a quick second, just a quick question. It's like, quick, quick, quick. It's uh, like, no, no, no. I have 30 of you and you've done it all day and I've gotten nothing done. 
Mm. Right. So we got her down to five direct reports and started to put managers in place. Now you might be thinking 30. That's I'm, that's so above where I am. However, again, she was at five and at 10 and she kept mm. her bad habits and they stayed with her until she knew I can't manage 30 different people. So once you get past five people on your team, you want to start to say to yourself, who can help me lead and manage? Because more mm. than five people for you alone is just too much when you've got your own work to do. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, in terms of, let's look at the different levels yeah. of where people are at. So let's say if they're under $100,000, um, what would be some you know, some hires that you would encourage people to make under $100,000? Yeah. Okay. So under $100,000, I mean, honestly- even if you don't have the income to spend, I would say, how could I at least get a virtual assistant in a different country? Because mm. you need help. Like there is no way. And you're not taking jobs away from the United States. If you can't afford something in the United States, you were never going to hire somebody anyway. So <laughs> find somebody on Upwork or onlinejobs.ph to be an assistant, right? Now you have to be careful because sometimes their English isn't as good. So then all of a sudden you're catching typos and things like that. But I tell people, let them assist you and just double check their work versus you creating the whole thing and double checking yourself. So start there. Now, at some point, I do want you to find somebody local to you, whatever country you're in, but local to you where you're able to have an assistant of some sort, whether that's just a virtual assistant and they're a jack of all trades, or they actually are local to you where they can assist you in other things. So like for me, for instance, like I put on events sometimes and I do want somebody here locally in Wisconsin that can run and get the quote or check the space or all the things that come up with events. Right now, if you're strictly remote, you may not need local help. Okay. So just think about what kind of help you need. But I feel like in the beginning, you want a jack of all trades. And it's mm. funny because people think, well, who's going to be able to do everything? Well, how many of us did everything in the beginning of the business? You did Kajabi. You were the email support. You were your social media manager. You were all of the things. It's not that weird to find somebody who's willing to be all of the things with you in the beginning. So yeah, that was like a strong that was my first. administrative, strong yeah. administrative assistant. Yeah. And one thing I said to my, my girl that came on as a Jill of all trades, hmm. I was like, listen, I'm going to need you to do be, to be a little bit of everything, but when the business starts to grow, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to say, what's your least favorite thing you're doing? And we'll hire somebody to take that off your plate. And mm. every time we grew, and I, I would come back to her and say, okay, what do you want to get off now? And she'd be like, customer service, like get me social media, like whatever it is. She felt like she was getting growing in that org chart mm. every time. So for her, it was like, wow, she really is promising what she was saying I'm really getting help. And now I get to go into my zone of genius. So we started to do a lot of that in the beginning. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people feel confused about what I should hire first. Like, should I hire a salesperson so that I start yeah. like generating more money or should I hire like an admin person or a customer service or, and my experience was exactly what you're talking about is yeah. uh, we, I ended up outsourcing uh, to the Philippines. Yeah. And in fact, I've had an assistant for almost nine years from the wow. Philippines working wow. for me. And she's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and we've had great experiences. I've had such great experiencing outsourcing, specifically to the Philippines. A Thank lot you. of the time 
if we outsource to like India, it's going to be a more technical kind of thing, like building websites and stuff yeah. like that. But but that's been I've had a fantastic experience mm-hmm. with that. When people say like they're concerned about like um you know like confidentiality or concerned mm-hmm. about you know like like all of that kind of side of things, like what would you say you know around that? So in general, no matter who you hire or bring onto your team, whether they're here in the United States, they're out of country, you have to learn to trust, right? But you Mm. also want to do a great job doing your due diligence, interviewing, setting the tone, you know, giving them an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, Mm. like actually typing something up that says, listen, what we are doing here or what you're watching or what you're seeing, this is confidential. And like, it could be a termination if that would be out of it. Cool. So it doesn't matter whether you're in America or whether you're outsourcing overseas, like you're still going to face similar issues and you have to learn to trust. I I totally appreciate that. And Um, I think as they build that trust up, like you start to give them more and more. And when they start to break your trust, you're like, wait a minute, hold Mm. up. Let's go back here. Right. It's it's Mm. like that with anybody. Mm. Yes. Like somebody just said, who do you give a credit card to? I'm like, it's not credit cards aren't a big deal to me. I mean, Mm. like there's a small limit you can put on. If they did anything wrong, you could charge it back. It's fraud. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things. I'm like, I don't even care. Like it, it doesn't scare me at all because you should be checking in. You should be inspecting what you expect and all of the things. Yeah, totally. When the, I think for me, the first time I hired um, and there was like different levels of it, there's a lot of fear that comes up. Uh, around bringing someone on and mainly of like, oh my gosh, like the money that I'm making that's normally coming to me is now going to someone else. How do you help people get past that if they're stuck in that, stuck in that fear? Yeah. So you're describing somebody that believes that people cost money. But when I'm looking to hire people, I'm looking to hire people that make me money. Mm. Do you see the difference? So we've got to make sure that you are hiring people that can actually either one, generate income or two, they are relieving people like tedious tasks on people's plate where they can step in and generate more income. When I say tedious tasks, it means like something that must be done, but doesn't doesn't actually produce income, right? Mm. And that could be uploading this podcast and putting it on, right? Like it doesn't actually make money. But if you don't have to do that, you could be in a role that was, and you had brought up sales before. And honestly, I think I did this backwards. I tried it outsource sales really fast. I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to be in sales. I just, I don't want that. I think sales is the number one role you as a CEO need to master and understand no one will sell your business like you do in the beginning. And you need to set up the systems and understand how it works. And then from there, you can train somebody to do that Mm. for you. Um, I always just pushed it off. And then, you know, what was was hard for me was I was having trouble finding out, are they good or not at being a salesman? I was letting people work for me that were bad salesmen, but I didn't know they weren't good. And they were, their close rate was decent, but it was because I was doing launches and I was doing all the work for them. And they were basically just being customer service and ringing them up. So now that I'm way more like I understand sales, I'm studying it. I'm really trying to get good at it. The more I study it, the more I can spot somebody who's not there yet. And I can either step in and train them or I can pull them from that role if they're costing the company money. Mm, Love that. So I was thinking about the structure of a business 
uh, because I think a lot of the time expert business owners don't think about business structure because mm-hmm. they, they're like, oh, I'm an expert. I'm a course creator and I've got Kajabi or ClickFunnels and, and I just sell stuff, right? But definitely as you grow and scale, you have to think about your business as a structure. What are like the big like three to four or whatever core hats that if you were to fill, like let's say you had limited resource, but it was like, we have to fill three to four core roles. Yeah. What would they be? Okay. So the biggest things in the beginning is marketing and sales. Marketing is getting visibility and sales is converting that visibility into buyers. Okay. So I just said, I think you should actually be the salesperson. So that means I would look for a marketer to be the yin to the yang. Now, unfortunately, what do most of us do? We are the marketers. We go out and we do the social media. We're the content creators. We're the brains behind marketing. But if they're coming now, that's fine if you're the salesperson too. But if you're passing it off to a salesperson, that's not great. Or you're not even, you're not even understanding like book a call and getting them to take a, you know, step into being a lead you're losing all of those people and those opportunities. Most people don't sell enough. So that's the problem there. So I would say, get somebody to fully understand marketing. And I would, I always say like, what's the thing that sells the thing? So for me, I book consults and consults sell our program. So I would say to the marketer, your number one goal is not Instagram likes. It is not comments. It is not shares. Your goal is to get as many consults booked because your social media posts prompted them to do so. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if they know book a call and I'm either the salesman or I've got a salesman, then I know I've got steady flow in the beginning, but Mm. you can't have, most people have marketing and there's no sales. Like you've got to have both for this to really make sense and work in your business. So that is for sure up in the front, right? But when that actually starts working, you need fulfillment. So, so many people, I use like this bathtub analogy, they want more water in the bathtub and they're focusing on more water, more water, more water, but there's a drain that's open and you're losing customers all the time. Mm. And I think after I read Joey Coleman's book, never lose a customer again, it said, if you, if you have been in business excellent amount of time and you've never lost a customer, how many customers do you have? Now I've been in business 20 years. And when I did that math, I was like, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like, holy cow. Right. So you start to forget that you have all of these people that have bought from you and you're not focusing on them. You're focusing on new more, just getting other people. And those people are leaving. It's easier to get them to stay than it is to get new people to find out about you and buy. So I actually think customer fulfillment or customer success is one of the most hands-down best places to invest somebody else. I don't think this should be you. We have too much to focus on, especially as experts. We're on camera Mm 24-7. We don't have time to be making, like, I'm not saying I'm not in fulfillment. I'm saying I'm not leading fulfillment. So the girl on my team that leads fulfillment, she is there. Her KPIs are for upsells, renewals, referrals, reactivations. Reactivations, people get confused on. It's somebody has left, but they were an ideal client and you try to get them back. Hmm. So we're sending text messages or we're sending DMs. How's it going? You haven't been in the program in six months. What are you up to? And I'm like, well, actually, I haven't really grown since I left and I've been thinking about coming back. And now we try to reactivate them. So those four KPIs for this one role, that person right there, she does not cost me a dollar 
because she is making me so much money. So when you think about her KPIs, you ask, what are her daily action items? It's to love our customers, to give them great service, to, to be there and support them with whatever they need. And with that level of support, our renewal rate is like through the roof. Love that. So marketing and sales need to be separate. And I agree. I think it's like a different mindset, marketing mm-hmm. and sales. Um, then you've got customer fulfillment uh, and all the upgrades and all that sort of stuff on the back end. What else? What else would be a core role that we need to be thinking about? Yeah. I think those three will get you started. Yeah. Eventually, I think fulfillment, I think in the beginning, fulfillment can be also operations. They can be a manager. Mm. They can be like making sure the systems are being run. And at some point, you'll want to separate that role into really fulfillment and then a separate operations piece. Yeah. And think yeah. like think the boring stuff, systems, finance, like HR, right? Stuff like that. Um, but that you got a little ways before you need that. Yeah, right. Okay. No, that's really great. That's great to think about it. So from the so at the base level, like let's say you're under 300,000 or something, you really need, you've got the customer fulfillment experience mm-hmm. side of things and upgrades and referrals and that sort of stuff. And then you've got marketing and sales. And then there's kind of you as well, which is yeah. the, obviously you're the CEO, you're delivering content, all that sort of stuff as well. What are some um, things that you're noticing or from working with your clients, what are some big mistakes that you notice people make are, like just around their hiring in general? They hire very quickly and when they absolutely have to have this person. So then they're they're a little desperate. And when you're desperate, you make desperate decisions, right? And you don't necessarily grab the perfect person. So we just had somebody who put in a two-week notice um, and we have systems in place, so it's okay. People will jump in and do her systems. So now you might be thinking, oh my goodness, you have two weeks to fill this role. Nope. I have as long as I want. The team will temporarily jump in and do what needs to get done. Mm. We will find that person when the right person comes to us. We are not just going to hire somebody in the next 30 days because we need it, right? So you want to make sure that you are only hiring people that you can see working with you, at least for your like three-year vision. Don't just hire somebody to quick be a Band-Aid. You know why? Because no one likes to fire and that will not be a Band-Aid. She will be here for seven years bleeding your company dry because you don't want to fire her. Right. So really just go slow. Do not hire until you find the real person that you want to do. If anything, I would rather go get a contractor part time, go on Upwork, go tell them it's a three month gig, right? Or something like that. But I would never want to hire somebody having them think they're here to stay just because I'm desperate and need somebody tomorrow. Mm, great. So, so not getting, not, or just not even thinking that you are desperate. It sounds like it's it's oh, actually yeah. a it's a frame of thinking because you can always feel like you're desperate. I think <laughs> you know, like oh my gosh, we've got you know all these things going on. Um, like I want the I want the person applying to need me more than I need them. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, <clears throat> what what else? What else, what are some other yeah. mistakes that people make with their think, with their team with their yeah. scaling and so forth? I think really getting, I just had somebody message me today and they're like, Hey, I'm having trouble. This person's overstepping. Like they're hanging out over in this department and they're supposed to be over here. And I said, well, what is her job description show? I'm like, uh, well, I don't know if I like, they don't really have a job description, right? Like they posted something and it didn't mean anything and they haven't looked at it since. And I'm like, listen, you need to identify what she's actually supposed to be doing on the team and what her daily weekly, monthly activities are. 
if she doesn't know what they are, it's not that weird that she's coming on over in another department doing something. She doesn't know she's not supposed to do that. And sometimes they're trying to over deliver and make mm. it look amazing. Like, oh, Colin, I got it. I can, I'll do graphic design and I'll be over in HR and I can, no worries, right? If you haven't said, here is your role, here is your department, here's what you need to be doing, then you can't really be that upset with them when they don't do it the way that you're thinking in your head, but you haven't told them, right? Mm. Oh, so yeah. I think most problems, like when people have problems with contractors, VAs, whoever, 99% of the time, I can give you a strategy that you need to do that will fix their behavior. Mm. It's not usually like, oh yeah, wow, you hired the wrong person. We should fire her. I even said to this person, I'm like, don't fire her. We have no idea if it's you or her yet. <laughs> like, mm. We need to just wait because she might be the girl. It just might be, you're not being the CEO that she needs. So we've got to get you on the same page and the priorities cleaned up. And she might just magically fix because you're clear. Mm. I remember back in the day when I used to do a lot of consulting with corporations and so mm -hmm. forth and a lot of leadership speaking, um, the thing that was coming up for me that you were talking about was the idea that we shouldn't question people's commitment before we question the clarity we've given them. Absolutely. And, and like that's our role, right, as leaders is yeah. to provide clarity. And it's it's so, I mean, a lot of the time you think you're clear because you understand the whole business and how it all works, but it's like someone coming into the business and they're an employee, they don't own the business. There isn't that yeah. level of ownership. Like I know for, I remember for me when I was an employee, like uh, I, I was so unclear on my role oh, and what yeah. was expected. And, I, and, and maybe it's just my personality. I used to forget all the time, like what I was actually doing. And I'm like, what do I do next? Like, where do I go? Um, what, what are some things to have that you recommend people to have in place to opt, start optimizing and getting yeah. the most out of their team members? Yeah. So definitely this job description and we revisit mm. the job description on a 30 day basis. So every 30 days I wow. say, is there anything missing here that you are starting to do now? So like, let's say you had to fire somebody or somebody quit that job description should be completely up to date within 30 days of what they've been doing. Because think about it. Somebody asked me one time, this was years ago. They're like, could I get uh, this person on your team's job description? And I was like, oh yeah, it's so dated. It's not even what she does anymore. Like she doesn't do any of that stuff. Right. Cause it's like, she moved around and she did this. Now we move the job description with them, right? We're constantly updating it. So if somebody quit, we can take their job description that we just saw within 30 days and post it. Right. So I would say, get clear on that. Then in your project management software, which is a must, even if you're a solopreneur, you need a, because you still have projects, you want to manage those projects, right? So get a project management software and then in So there, what are some examples of those? Yeah. So I use monday.com, but you could use Trello. Um, ClickUp is a big one. People we use. We use Asana. Okay. Asana. Yeah. Airtable is another yeah. big one. I always tell people, don't get shiny object. Don't switch to what we just said. Just keep yours if it's working yeah. and just do it. <laughs> like, It's not going to be any better in a different one. If you've just been ineffective with it, you got to like get in there. Mm -hmm. So in our project management, I let's say my board says Stacy's projects and Stacy's routines. So in my routines, it's going to show everything I do on a Monday, everything I do on a Tuesday. Okay. So what happens is you hire a social media manager for like, 15 bucks an hour. And then you're, you're thinking, oh, why doesn't she not know what she's doing? Like, why is she expecting me to teach her what to do? 
but you have to remember she's making 15 bucks an hour. You, what kind of experience do you think she's coming with? Right? Like you're going to get what you pay for. So when you pay on the lower end, you've got to train them what you want them to be doing. So when I set up their boards and I say, okay, you're going to post on Instagram and you're going to check the DMs at once in the morning and once in the afternoon, you're going to tell me if there's anything I need to go check and respond to or things like that. Right. Mm. So you're going to tell her or him what it looks like on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. But then there will be projects that are one-off projects that they're not going to repeat. You might say, you know what? I haven't checked my Instagram profile in quite a while. Could you just update that? Right. So that might just be a one-time project. Now you will say, will I ever repeat this again? And you might say, well, I don't know, maybe once every six months I should peek at it or once every three months I should peek at it. So you might go put that in a quarterly or, you know, semi-annually, like a twice a year routine for her to go, oh yeah, I haven't checked Colin's profile in a while. Let's go peek and see if it's still up to date. Mm. Yeah. Um, So things like that. Um, And maybe let's say you change out your call to action link in the profile. You might go, that is a weekly routine. Every week, I'm going to want her to put this week's YouTube episode in there. So it depends on what you want. But do you see how like a regular, normal social media manager coming into the business would probably never think I should change out the profile link once a week unless you tell them? Mm. So this is the kind of stuff you need to do. And what's your philosophy on initiative versus Mm. direction? Uh, Because, you know, a lot of companies have like a real value of, we want someone to show initiative, but also like, how do we manage that expectation as a CEO with our people going like, okay, I want initiative, but I also don't want them to do the, the wrong thing Yeah, that, that's going to have a detrimental effect. And then also like the expectation of like, have I provided enough clarity? Like what's your philosophy on initiative and what that yeah. looks like and the, and the, and the trajectory of that with an employee? Yeah. I love that question. So there is a one end of the extreme to the other. There is somebody that never takes initiative. And you're thinking, I don't want to be the brains here. Like, could you give me some ideas? And then there's somebody who's taking so much initiative. You're like, hold up. This is my company. <laughs> like, stop the ideas. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you doing this. Right. right so right. we want somebody in the middle, right? We mm. want them to understand that. Yes, we would love to hear your ideas, but I want to hear them. And I want to tell you if this is in alignment with our company or not. And the longer they work for you, the more they're going to realize what works, what doesn't. And you'll start to get on the same page where you will give them more leeway as they really start to understand the vision, right? So inside of my, let's say I'll stick with the social media manager, um, inside of her projects, we have something that we call, it'll say parking lot, and it'll actually say my name, let's say Stacy. So meaning like I am her direct report, Okay. I'm actually not my social media manager's direct report, but just for this example, we'll share that. So it'll say Stacy's parking lot for Bella. And then it'll say Bella's parking lot for Bella. So what that does is if I get a new idea for social media, Mm -hmm. instead of throwing it on her plate and overwhelming her, because I've given her 17 things to do today, I put it in a parking lot for us to discuss later. If she has an idea, I say, throw it in your parking lot. Just by labeling it Bella's parking lot ideas, it tells Bella, I want you coming up with ideas, right? But she doesn't implement any of those without discussing with them with me first on one of our weekly meetings. And then from there, I might say, all right, you've got more like time to work on projects. Let's pull something from your parking lot. What would be like the next best step for us? Because if people do have ideas and you're always squashing them, they're not going to stay with you. 
They're either mm. going to work for somebody that listens to them or they're going to do their own thing and be your competitor. Mm. That's great. So helpful. Um, what are some things when you're looking to hire someone, what are the red flags that come up mm. when you've been interviewing or you've been going through that where maybe it was like, oh, everything was looking good. And then like a red flag comes up or you just notice something and you're yeah. like, you know what? I don't think that's going to work. And what are those red flags, like the general ones or the ones for you personally that you look yeah. for that when they come up? I mean, there's so many things that you're, you're going, did they just say that? I, did they just, did they really just say that to me? Right. You just can't even believe what comes out of people's mouth. It's unbelievable. Um, I think first of all, know your company values and anything that is just not in alignment, that's got to go right. Some of my favorite questions to ask though, that show true colors is I'll say, what was your favorite job that you had? Um, and why you find out what they liked and you ask yourself, are they going to like that here? Or is that going to be lacking? Now they might say things like, Oh, my boss was so laid back. They let me do anything. I loved it. And you're like, that's not happening here. So <laughs> like, do you see what it's I'm saying? It's not happening here either. I'm yeah, so you're thinking, I'm just being honest. Right. So yeah. yeah, I love, they let me do whatever I want. I barely did anything. It's like, oh, good. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> um, know. And then I'll say, I'll say, um, now I know you're not going to bash anybody, but what was your least favorite job and why? Because I also want to know, is there anything again that they hate that goes on in my business every day? Because I don't want to sugarcoat. If, if they hate something we do on a daily basis, they're going to quit so fast. Right? Hmm. So then the next set of those questions are, who is your favorite boss and why? Okay, if they didn't bring up their boss in either of those situations, ask that question. They might have brought up the boss, but if they didn't, I want to know, like, what do they like or not like about mm. a leader? Because mm. this will tell you if you're compatible or if the leader they're going to be directly reporting to is going to be compatible. If they hate everything that this person does and it sounds just like their marketing manager, <laughs> this is not going to be a good fit. <laughs> Love that. Love that. What about... Uh, how much do you go with your gut in always. your decisions? Always, 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 always. And I go with somebody else's gut. So mm. I try not to interview by myself. I sometimes can fall in love very quickly and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're amazing. Same. Yeah. Same. Oh my God. I'm, I'm like, no, seriously, they're going to You've seen the life. potential. You're like, oh my yeah. gosh. You know, like, and then like awesome. two weeks later, I'm like, what was I thinking? Oh my goodness. Like, how did they pass this test? Right. So I always bring somebody with me. Or we do multiple rounds. So by the time they get to me, they've kind of passed other people's tests. But anytime you have a bad gut feeling, at least I will tell you, I've never had a, I've always had a bad gut feeling. If I hired them, there was always a problem at some point with that gut feeling. Always. So now I just know that a gut feeling, you know, something is off. Just don't do it. Like, don't, don't, you'll, you'll hate it. You'll hate what you just did. You'll have to fire or let go or have a really awkward, hard conversation. So go with your gut. No, that's great. Uh, what other, let's say someone is over a hundred thousand yeah. uh, or they're starting to scale up. What, what are some, some thinking changes or yeah. philosophy changes as a leader that we need to make? to start to let go more because I'm not going to lie I am I am quite a high intense communication leader let's just let's just say that like what does that mean <laughs> that means um I like to know what's going on 
Oh my goodness. Like with, with, with my business, with <laughs> you're a micromanager. Uh, yeah, that's what I call it, a high-intense communication leader. Um, <laughs> well, that is a nice-sounding version of micromanager. <laughs> probably, probably. Or nitpicker. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just, I love it. One of okay. my challenges is I I'm love being solve, involved. I'm going to so solve your things. problem right here. Okay. Here's all you need, Colin. Yeah. You just need a daily and weekly and monthly report that should take that fear or like pressure of like what's going on. Okay. So what are the key numbers or like key metrics you want to see on a daily basis? I don't need to know what's going on with projects. I just want to see metrics. So, I mean, it depends what they are in certain departments, but like mm -hmm. th that could be for me on a once a week basis, I see everybody's KPIs. So key performance indicators, I see three to five numbers per person on my team, all of them on a nice, simple spreadsheet um, once a week. Now, there are some things I want to see faster as income. I want to see income faster. So I actually get an income report Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I see what have we brought in so far this month and what are we projected to bring in by the end of the month? On a, I mean, every And who pulls days. that together for you? One of your team members or your accountant? Yeah. Nope. One of my team members. All she's doing is she's going, she has access to Stripe. So yep. she's going into Stripe and she can see, and she knows our contracts, what's coming up, what's projected. Because uh, first of all, I used to get that once a month. Well, you know mm. what it's like. You get it and you're like, shoot, we messed up. It's over. Yeah. I'm going, guys, we said we're going to hit this amount and we're this much short. What can we do? So one month, this is the best story. One month, we were $40,000 short from our projections of what we like, not just like what would be nice to hit. It's like, no, we need $40,000. Yeah. So the team, we kind of canceled our, our meeting. We said, okay, in our meeting, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to go around the room and say how that position could positively impact us $40,000 in the next couple of weeks. Okay. So the social media manager is like, okay, I could post this and I could do this and I could do that. And then the copywriter is like, I could send out an email that talked about that and we could send them to the webinar and all of that. So every single person did this on the team. We walked away that month on fire. We surpassed the goal because everybody was proactively trying to hit that number. Mm. Like the people internally with their old, like reactivating clients, talking to certain people to upsell them. It was nuts. And it was because I had the data like before I, it was too late, right? I could actually do something about us being down income. And then we were, we never ended up being down income because we were able to fix our actions. Mm, so I is, think if you could get more KPIs on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you wouldn't feel like you needed to micromanage the tasks as much. The high communication. Yeah. You're talking high about? Intense. <laughs> you said intense. Intense. Oh, yeah. And now, uh, now most people see me as a pretty cruisy guy. Uh, that's that's what my, my wife always says, but I'm actually quite intense in my business. Like really? when it, I almost can't see that. Yeah, no, I actually oh, am quite intense. Okay. Um, my communication style in general is is quite relaxed. That is interesting. I feel like I know you pretty well. <laughs> yeah, wow, Sarah. Okay. Sarah always goes. People are so surprised when we when we actually get <laughs> into it. Um, that is so helpful. I kind of for me, what's come up for me is going because we have a weekly dashboard that we look yeah. at. Like, there's a bunch of KPIs and numbers that we look at every week. 
But there's actually some numbers that I want to know sooner. And I want to know even like what's been, for me, it's like what's been achieved, what's got across the line so that I know like how the project is going and all of that. It's more that sort of stuff. I'm not, I'm not like going, have you pressed this button and have you like, (laughs) you know, that sort of stuff. So I'll give you one more tip. So Mm. one thing we do is we have a weekly dashboard of all the tasks everybody's going to do that are projects that are not, that are not their weekly routines. So every day on the daily huddle, there's a battery. So it it shows, okay, so for this week, everybody's got their own tasks. So on a Monday, we're at 0%. On a Tuesday, we're trying to shoot to like 20%, right? So on Wednesday, we'll go, hey, you know, we're at 33%. So really, we want to see us by this amount by the end of the day. So does anybody need help on their tasks? So what I get to see is every single week that how fast we're cruising on our thing, on our on that battery. And if we're getting low, I'm like, does anybody need help today? Is anybody not going to finish? And pretty much every week we report on that battery. Then on that Monday, we're at 90% or higher. And then whatever didn't get complete renews for that next week. So honestly, I don't ever check on their tasks because on Monday Mm. I see what didn't get finished. Mm, That's really, that's really fascinating. And so is that like with the tasks, do you, are they, they're pre-planned out, I'm assuming. Yeah. So the leaders assign them based off of our, our monthly quarterly goals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Love that. That's what I'm saying. So the leaders are saying you need to do X, Y, Z. And then at the end of the week, it's like, wait, what didn't, what didn't get accomplished? Mm. So good. So we've covered some really awesome content for the listeners and for me uh, today, which is why I always go to you whenever I've got questions around people and team and contracts and all that sort of stuff. Like, uh, I mean, you're my go-to person because you're just phenomenal in this space. And, um, is there anything we haven't covered that is burning for you of going, like, I know there's probably so much, but anything that's coming up based around the context of running an expert business and scaling anything like last final remote thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah. This is more of a thought than like an action item, Yeah, but it could be an action item. So I have this other business that I haven't been in, in nine years, but I still run it, own it. I mean, I can sell it at some point and it's an asset and it doesn't need me. And that is a different level of security than I ever have had in my personal brand as the face, right? It is reliant on us. Hmm. I want you thinking about how you can be building a business that doesn't need you even as a personal brand, right? Mm. So you don't want to be launching when you're 72 years old. Like, like we're hoping that's not <laughs> the case here, right? Like yeah. we've got to start to think about, is this like a real business we're creating? Or is this just like mm. a fun brand that we're going to have for a little bit? I don't know about you, but I'm, I want this business around 30 years from now. And I also don't want to be just the face of it, right? So for me, I'm looking at how do I systematize? How do I organize? And then how do I keep delegating things? How do I keep getting things off my plate? At some point, it's like, I want to keep removing things where it's not about Stacy. It's about Stacy's program and her methodology and the framework and the way she teaches. Right. So at some point it's not going to, I mean, even in my coaching programs right now, I am one of like six or seven coaches, right? You don't want to be reliant on you because you're the expert. Other people can teach your stuff. So just don't get sucked into the trap of like, well, it's my, it's me and it's my personal brand and I have to do it. You don't, you can absolutely, if you build a framework and you listen to Colin, the way he teaches all of this amazing stuff, you can build a brand that is so much more than just your face and needing you every second of the day. 
Oh, that's absolutely br- brilliant. And I think that, yeah, because I think running a personal brand, there is a there is a sense of like feeling like, well, I need to deliver all the content and do all the things. And it's actually something we've started to do in our programs is get other facilitators and coaches and yep. speakers and stuff like that. And it feels really good. It feels great. It, feel, yeah. it feels like you're empowering the community on multiple levels, the diversity and all that sort of stuff. So I just want to challenge people to like think, yeah. how could that be possible? And like, what's the baby step? to get you started, mm. you know? And I like the, that idea of like, because so often as experts, we think about our business as a practice as opposed mm-hmm. to a business. And that took me a long time to make that transition. And really what I'm hearing is the challenge is think about it as a business that if you were to have to sell it and yep. to sell a business, you have to have all the systems in place, the structures and so forth. And what's cool, I think I remember that someone said that a, a business, a great business to sell is also a great business to run. Yes. And like people will say, why don't you sell your studios? I'm like, because I don't feel like I even have them, mm-hmm. but they make me money. Mm-hmm. Why would I sell that? So good. So good. Now, Stace, uh, if people want to start to scale up in a simplified manner and really start to hire people effectively and so forth, what's like one of the best places, first of all, to just be in contact with you. I know you've got a podcast and your social media, which we'll put the links down below. Um, But what's kind of the next best step um, or something that they can look at and and kind of take a step forward with you? Yeah. So I think the podcast is going to be like, you could binge so many episodes and just go down more rabbit holes. So the foot traffic podcast, Instagram is by far my favorite place to hang out. Mm. If you go find me at Stacey Tushel and you DM me the word Colin, what I'll do is um, we talked about KPIs. I have this KPI spreadsheet and I have my three, the ones that we talked about, like the marketing, the operations, sales, all of that. Yep. I have their three to five KPIs in a spreadsheet that I will give you. So say Colin, and I'll know you came from his podcast and I'll give you that KPI spreadsheet, but that's going to help you go, what are my three to five KPIs? And you might be all three positions. So that means mm-hmm. you've got to be thinking about those numbers if you don't have people on your team quite yet. So what do they have to send to you? Just DM me on Instagram, Colin. I just wanted you to say my name again. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Stace, I love how you say my name. Well, that's funny because I always say to every time you box me, you're always like, hey, Stace. And I'm like, I just love when Colin says my name. That's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was saying to Sarah, like, I was like, how good is it how Stacey says my name? Like, Colin, <laughs> Colin. I was like, <laughs> so good. The Wisconsin awesome. accent. Wisconsin. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Uh, well, Stace, uh, it's, it's such a pleasure having you in my life and in Sarah's life and our life. Um, so cool doing life with you. I'm excited for the people who are going to connect with you and grow with you, um, from the business. So guys, if you can, if you loved what Stacey shared, she is a, for me, a trusted advisor in this space. And so definitely go and connect with her, grab the, grab the, um, download sheet and, uh, looking forward to doing more of life together. Thanks Stace. You're the best. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. Go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. 
Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.